cycles, we'll lose part of the system for a while. You know, it's a finite amount of memory. You can't use it for everything. We're going to compile for half an hour. Go ahead. All of you. We're approaching the Tyrannosaur paddock. Welcome to the Sports Antidote, episode number 122. I'm your host, Danny Belts. Now is not the time, son. Ooh, sounds real compelling. Actually, I think this one might be, but we'll see. Sing it, Kenny! Kenny Loggins, ladies and gentlemen. Always on time, always on cue. Man, that man sounds better than ever. I want to talk quickly about the Lakers. A little bit of MLB house cleaning. We'll recap what happened last week and what's to come. The Saints play the Cardinals tonight, and I think Aaron Brooks is going to be the quarterback. I'm not sure what they got going on there. Tommy Bench joins the show to talk about how Democrats kind of blew their goo a little early. He called that one, time-stamped it three weeks ago, much like we did Gavin Newsom being the Democrat nominee when no one thought that was possible. The drunk neighbor comes on for a rip-roaring 16 minutes of insanity, LSU, Tennessee, then LSU, Florida, LSU versus Tom Petty, and LSU versus Ole Miss. Oh, it's worth every minute. Bro Exotic comes on to talk about a huge, huge underdog that he is getting behind. We are very interested to hear more about that. I think I kind of know where he's going. I want to talk about two games that I did play yesterday and the insane, the stupid nature of this game and injury reports, and I still haven't learned. I guess I never will. I'm not the smartest guy. And then I want to talk about a certain family. We'll call them the Smith family for all intents and purposes. Be sure and rate, subscribe, and review. Follow us on Instagram at the Sports Antelope. Hey, if you're at the airport bar or at a Chili's or a Chili's in the airport bar, reach out, touch a brother, and tell somebody about the Sports Antelope Today, seriously, go tell somebody about the sports antidote. Today is one of these episodes where I feel that you may either want to delete the podcast from your, uh, <laughs> from your files or whatever the hell you keep it on iTunes or Android, or you'll tell people about the sports antidote. You'll reach out, touch your brother. You may even tell the mailman. I have no idea. We're going to find out, though. This one is going to be different, and that is for sure. So the Lakers, I want to get into this real quick. I watched the Lakers play. I couldn't sleep, so I watched the game a couple nights ago versus Golden State. Lakers are playing the world champs here. And the Lakers' offense consists of LeBron walking it up the court, four guys standing around, and then launching some horrific shot. Golden State didn't even play well, and they won that game by 20. Uh, They could have won by 40 had they actually played well. Watching Golden State is like watching a very – talented, wildly talented college team as they just set screens, back picks. They get whatever they want, whenever they want. I don't like Steve Kerr, but he's pretty damn good at this. There's no getting around that. On the other side, the Lakers just look lethargic. They look fat. Like they, Honestly, they look out of shape. LeBron looks out of shape. Anthony Davis looks out of shape. Westbrook looks out of shape. I guess they're going to have to play themselves into shape. I'm not sure how that works. But if the offense is going to be the Lakers walking up the court and we'll just see what happens, it's going to be a long season for L.A. And before you say, well, it's just the first game, Belts, yeah, I know, that's the problem. You see, you had all offseason to prepare for this on national television and you just consist of walking it up and then just heaving threes when they can't shoot. Golden State was easily too, easily allowed them to shoot 43s and L.A. made 10. Two were off the backboard. Most of these happened in the fourth quarter when it was a blowout. Golden State got whatever they want. And if Coach Ham for the Lakers, if this is how he's going to handle things, it's going to be a really ridiculous season for the Lakers. And for the second year in a row, they will miss the playoffs. The West is stacked. 
The Lakers look absolutely horrible. We'll see what they can do tonight. But I just thought it to be unbelievable. At one point, the Lakers had 50 shots going into the fourth quarter where the shot clock was under three seconds. 50 shots before that shot clock goes off. I'll never understand why people think it's good to walk the ball up the court when there's a shot clock. I'm not saying you have to sprint up and jack a shot like you're on the 2007 Warriors with Don Nelson. All I'm saying is that it doesn't benefit you to ever walk it up the court when there's a shot clock. Get it up the court, preserve those five or six seconds you can have to get a better offensive play, and then go about your business. It's amazing how people just, the Dallas Mavericks last night do the same thing. Luka just walks it up the court, and then their whole offense revolves around him in the post, and this is a big reason why they lost to Phoenix and blew a 20-something point lead. I won't get into that. I think Luka's incredible, but it's just... Is that all you guys have? Like, really? Just, okay. All right, we'll see. I mean, Luca's incredible, but there's a reason why you blew that lead, Jason Kidd. And it's because your offense is just a joke. Anyhow, I do want to talk a little bit about Major League Baseball. The Astros beat the Yankees last night. As you all know, the Astros, probably the most unsung, I guess, favorite I've ever seen in Major League Baseball. The best record in Major League Baseball. Clearly the best team in Major League Baseball. And yet they're still at a pretty good price to win this whole thing. Uh, as far as the other side goes, the, you know, you saw the Padres explode last night on the Phillies. That's probably going the distance, that game, Philadelphia stealing game one. But I think we're I, – I honestly do think – well, I think the Astros are coming out of the American League. That's not that big of a deal. And I think they're going to see the Philadelphia Phillies, and I think that's going to be a series worthwhile for a lot of reasons. Philadelphia is really blown up right now. I mean, the Eagles are undefeated. Good for them, I guess. The Saints tonight, this is going to be an absolute disaster. So once again, Landry's out, Michael Thomas is out, offensive lineman's out, Lattimore's out. The Saints should have beat the Vikings. They got destroyed by the referees in London. The Saints should have beat the Bengals with my mother in the slot last week. It was absurd. It's amazing how this team can even hang around. They're just so talented, but when they're missing all this talent, it makes things really difficult to watch. Tonight they play the Cardinals. The good news is for the Saints is the Cardinals are an absolute dumpster fire. They'll somehow have a chance to win this game. They're only getting two and a half points on the road. That's unbelievable. Uh, clearly, the odds makers do not think much of Arizona, and nor, nor should they. And again, we're talking about how the Cardinals are racist because they want Murray to read the playbook. Let me just remind you, the same verbiage was in Johnny Menzel's contract, and he is not black. He is white. Furthermore, uh, this gentleman, Kyler Murray, had the same issues all throughout college, particularly at Oklahoma, through Lincoln Riley, who even said this several times, he doesn't really study the playbook. So before you give somebody a quarter of a billion dollars, we just ask that you maybe open the book and give it a little read. Not much racism there. Certainly not racist to give a black person $300 million to play football. I think that just goes without being said, but sometimes we just have to say these things. Last week, though, the picks uh, were 500 coming into... Uh, coming into the NFL games when I lost two, I went to the game in Green Bay and Lambeau was in a suite. Really awesome. Uh, but the Packers look completely unmotivated. They try to get the ball going, get the run going early. <laughs> that did not happen. Jones was hit in the backfield about three times for five-yard losses. The Jets blocked a punt, blocked a field goal, and they even ran a 42-yard halfback counter for a touchdown. Like they stole that out of the playbook out there in Annapolis for the Naval Academy. But that over-27 team total was the worst pick ever, and possibly the Cardinals-Seahawks was even worse than the North Carolina-Appalachian State under. Arizona scored one touchdown. It wasn't even offensive, and the Cardinals just look offensive, but not in the sense of the 2000 Rams or the Saints. They just It almost offends me to watch them play football. So I really had too many games. I really thought I could take these most of them down, and we didn't. So we're back to 500, 23-23-1, and 0-2 and and on the alternate dogs 
but I'm pretty sure those will pick up. And all you have to do is hit about one out of those three to not even break even, but probably bank a little money. So we have a full lineup today. This show may go a little long, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes. And we'll just start off with this. Now is not the time, son. So, you know, this podcast is starting to change a little bit, but for the better, instead of me just getting up here and just, you know, ripping out stupid takes and this, that, and the other as it continues to grow, I feel if I can just tell you something you can take with you, it makes it a lot more worthwhile. But to do that in the way I want to do it, it can't become like preachy or anything like that because I'm the last person to ever do that. But I've seen so many things traveling and just pay attention to my surroundings and almost can pull a story out of anything. I have a hundred of these just sitting around. There's, you know, some stories that you want to tell, but you really just don't want to because you might be embarrassed. And then there's kind of stories that you do tell that perhaps you should not. And then there's stories that you really, really want to tell, but you can't. And you can't for whatever reason that is. This is kind of one of those, but not really. Uh, the believable factor is going to be up there. I don't know how you're going to, I don't know what you're going to think. The good news is I don't care what you think, and I'm going to do it anyway. So we're going to call this, Matt, this family I mentioned the Smith family. So I met this guy in medical sales living in Houston. I sold the Baptist Health Systems, which is a big player in the hospital game in San Antonio, Texas. And that drives relatively easy, just a couple hours I-10 West, there's nothing in between Houston and San Antonio, don't break down there. But I became friends with one of the guys that was one of the biomedical engineers. He was kind of like an apprentice or like a helper, I don't know. We got to talking, I became good friends with this guy, kind of, and you know, he was into poker, he bet sports, uh, he was, had some funny political takes, so we hit it off pretty well. And one day he invited me to his house to play poker with his family. So, of course, I took him up on this. These guys lived about 20 miles outside of San Antonio on like a ranch. And it was really, really interesting the way their family was set up. So he was kind of in the middle. There was an older brother and an older sister who were twins. Then there was him. Then there was the younger brother. And the last of the five would be the, his younger and youngest sister. So they had like a card room or a game room in this big ranch they lived in, and it was so much fun. The neighbors would come over or the people that were, quote, in the circle. I'll get to that in a second. And it was always, you know, 20 bucks to a poker tournament, maybe buy back in for 20. It was always a good time. You know, it was booze. It was laughing. These dudes were hilarious. And it kind of just went from there. But this family was very, very, very unique in their own. All these guys were, were brilliant, brilliant. Uh, the sister had gotten a full ride to Baylor. The oldest brother, a full ride at Texas Tech. Unfortunately for them, college didn't really work out. This guy right here, we'll call him Joe. He had a full ride to UH and a couple other places, and he ended up not going to college for whatever reason. The younger brother was actually smarter than all of them, who got like a 31 on the ACT and was actually flirting around with some Ivy League schools. But because of legal issues, he never went anywhere. And then there was the youngest sister who had committed to go to Rice on a full scholarship. This family, these guys were really smart. Uh, the mother was handicapped, unfortunately. We'll get to that in one second. And the father rarely, rarely ever came out of his room. I only saw him once, and that'll be at the end of this story when I deliver the bomb to you, and you can decide what to do with it then. So after about two times I went over there to visit these guys playing poker, I would just sleep over at their house. And it was just so much fun. I mean, we would just party. It was great. Play cards, have fun, watch TV, sports are on, this, that, and the other. And I got to know these guys kind of individually. I also kind of had figured out, as they had told me when they got a little more comfortable around me, their father had just got out of jail about nine months ago for doing 14 years 
in the Texas State Penitentiary system, which I can guarantee you is not exactly club fed. Now, they didn't really tell me why, but I would find out why. It's not my business to really ask. But the dad never came downstairs. And even all through the roaring, the yelling, the laughing, the screaming, their parents never, ever came downstairs. It was really bizarre. Uh, Zell had to go to work in the morning and stuff, but, uh, you know, well, the, mo- the mother didn't because she was um, in a wheelchair. Or not in a wheelchair, but she was very, it was very difficult for her to walk. So normally she would be in a wheelchair, but she could move. It was just very difficult for her to do that. And like I said, we'll get into why that is in a minute. So the third time I went out there, uh, the youngest brother, the one that is fourth to youngest in the entire family, was absolutely, this guy is absolutely insane. Uh, and I say that in every way, shape, and form, insane. Uh, <laughs> there's really another way to say it. He accused me of cheating one night, and of all the things you could tell me that would roll off my back, uh, this isn't one of them. I took exception. Things escalated very quickly, and the next thing you know, we're in his backyard, and we're going to do this. And uh, There's no other way to say this. Uh, I don't really know how to tell you this. This is something that I have no problem. Let's do this. Uh, you know, my, my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, was moving to Houston in two weeks, so what a better way for her to come to town with me with two black eyes and missing a front tooth, right? Yeah, that's awesome. So we're about to do this, and I noticed when the dude took his shirt off that he was casted of iron. I was in good shape. He was in phenomenal shape. And there were scars on his chest and his back, the likes of which I've never seen. He was tattooed up, and this kid's body was a roadmap of where he had been, what he had done, and it spoke a lot to him. He had a tattoo of a devil right between his pecs, right up in the middle of his chest, but it wasn't anything like satanic. It was a picture. I understood what it meant. We don't need to get into that. But I was watching him dance around a little bit while basically this was going to happen, and I noticed that this kid can fight. I noticed that he's probably been in a lot of fights. I noticed that he was probably extremely fast, stronger than me, harder than me, and there's a reason why he wanted to do this because he was absolutely insane. I thought I was crazy. I was a choir boy in a Mormon church next to this young man, and I'm telling you this for a very specific reason. So right before this was about to go down, the guy that I was friends with, Joe, kind of came in, and, and I had gone full 10. Once I know this is, it's go time, I put myself in go time mode. I don't do this anymore, and I was like 27 years old at the time. We're going to go ahead and have a nice little fight in the backyard like some straight white trash. He basically just kind of hugged me like you would a fighter when they don't want to throw in the towel. And nothing had even started yet. But he whispered in my ear, we just wanted to see if you would do it, but you don't want to do this. And of course, I said what I said, but eventually kind of came to the conclusion that this was going to be a really bad idea. And it never happened. And I'm glad that it didn't because later I would find out that I would have been probably hospitalized uh, by this kid who got in fights weekly. And uh, apparently... Uh, He knew exactly what he was doing. It would have ended very poorly for me. But I guess I kind of got some respect because no one actually thought that I would do that. And that's not what I was looking for. I was actually going to fight him like an idiot. And I'm glad that it never happened. I went to go stay with them about five times in about three or four months whenever I'd go out there. And one time I even made up a trip to go out to San Antonio to see a customer just to stay out there and hang out. I don't do that. I did, you know, I was young, stupid. So I decided to go see a customer I didn't need to see, take him out to lunch. And then I stayed in San Antonio. And we had another card game that night. And what would happen that night would pretty much change the way I view things, change the way I look at things, and really uh, sets up what I want to talk about this week and next week if we don't have the Prophet Joshua on. But soon I'll be talking about that, what I'm about to tell you. And most importantly, it really opened my eyes to just how crazy this world actually actually is. So these 
guys all played cards, even the youngest daughter. They were good at poker. Like I said, the collective IQ of this family or collective on average is probably around like 150. I mean, these guys were all very, very, very smart. But the victim of circumstance, they would be because their father being in jail, being a felon, being a criminal, who was also extremely smart, didn't really lay a blueprint for how you would want to raise a child, or in this case, five children. Um, it just is not going to work out no matter what color you are, credence, whatever your background is. If there's not a father in the family, things are going to get sideways, and I think everybody pretty much knows that. So in this particular instance, I noticed the youngest daughter was not was not there to play cards. And let me tell you about her. She was sweet. She hadn't really been tainted by the life that the older four kind of had to live. She was very much four or five years the youngest there. And she was going to go to Rice, as I said. She was very pretty. The whole, the, all three of these guys were like six foot, you know, 200 pounds of just complete steel. They were good looking dudes. The oldest sister was an absolute, she was not ugly at all. And she was basically like the acting matriarch of that family being as where her mother really couldn't do anything. And the youngest was the exact opposite of all of them. I noticed she wasn't there. Somebody told me she was at her boyfriend's house. And then I saw a few people roll their eyes, which leads me to believe they didn't really like the youngest, uh, the youngest of their siblings boyfriend at all. And boy, would I find that out this night. So before I get into this, I just want to say, I did an episode on this about a year ago about how my roommate and I in Charleston once took exception to a lady that was getting beat by her fiance, who was at the medical school in South Carolina, MUSC is what it's called. And I kind of alluded to some things, but I guess we could just say we had a little talk with him and then that stopped happening. Most real men have a very soft spot for like child abuse, like not a soft spot for it, like kind of a, not a, what I meant to say is it really hurts when you hear about that or like a woman being abused. It triggers something in us where we just want to beat the living shit out of the person that's either abusing a child or beating a woman or both. We just want to take them out back and crack their head open with a baseball bat. You know exactly what I'm talking about. It makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up. It almost makes the bile come up from my stomach because I get disgusted with just the thought of this. So I had found out a lot in the times that I had met. And I'm trying to condense this. I could do two hours on it, but I'm trying to hit high level. I found out the reason that all the scars on this, the younger brother's chest and, and back was because his father was very abusive. He used to beat the shit out of all of them. And they had to live through all of that until one day, one of them got sick of it and hospitalized the father when they were big enough to do so. The markings on this kid's back and, and stomach were not like scars from anything other than like a switch, a whip, a stick. It looked like something out of roots. Like I'd never seen anything like that in my life. And I said his body was a roadmap because it was a roadmap of what he's done, where he's been, and where he's probably going to end up. So to make this more palatable for you or easily described, they all really had to deal with this growing up. And the father one day beat the mother and she did fall down the stairs and basically fracturing a vertebrae and would basically render her, like I said, handicapped the rest of her life. And he had already had some priors of doing this. And a judge made an example of him and sent him to jail for almost 15 years. And that really happened. And again, I had never seen the father. No pictures of him anywhere. No pictures of really anything. But for all intents and purposes, it looked like all was forgiven. And the family was still a functioning unit. And I would find out that that's exactly what it was. Before I get into that, let me explain something. I've always had 
groups of friends that didn't know other groups of friends. I kind of had a crazy mentality that as I would piss people off, which I would, they'd pretty much need like a break from me. So I would just go to these guys over here. It wasn't really to hide anything, but in my twisted mind, this is kind of a justification to not really run people out of my life for doing ridiculous things, saying ridiculous things like I've been doing my entire life. And this is one of the ones where no one really knew any of these guys. Only one of my buddies ever met one of these dudes, a buddy of mine in Houston. And it was just like that. I don't really know why. It's just the way it is. Not, it's not the way it is anymore. I wasn't trying to hide anything. But there's a lot of instances like this and stories and people that a lot of people close to me may not even know. But that's just how I set things up for some reason. I've never told this story to anyone. I've never saw a reason to until now. And that's why I'm doing this. I noticed the youngest daughter was not at a poker game the last time I would ever stay in their house. And I asked, and like I said, they said she's with her boyfriend and all of this. So whatever, I didn't think anything of it. So we continue to play. And it's about 1.30 in the morning. Uh, there's a couple of us left. It's me and the eldest sister, who's a really good card player. God, it's, pretty, it's pretty attractive when a girl's good at cards and she's already pretty too. But uh, anyway, uh, so in this instance, um, I was in the bathroom and then I noticed when I walked out of the bathroom to get to the card room, uh, the youngest daughter tried to slip by a room without anyone seeing her. You can probably already see where this is going. Well, this house was kind of constructed like my family's old house in Pennsylvania. Nobody really went in and out through the front door. Everybody went in through the side or the back door. It was how the house was set up. We all know people that have houses where they just don't really use the front door. This is one of them, and she tried to sneak in through the front door. I said her name, and she kept walking, and then the youngest brother... I uh, wanted to talk to her, went over there, found her. I came back in the card room, and then I heard very, very loud, angry, insane uh, curse word combinations, and I kind of already knew what happened uh, before I saw it. And she's already screaming, it's not his fault, he didn't do it, you don't understand. He drags her in to that card room, pulls the hoodie back from her head, moves her hand from her face so everyone could see, and I have to tell you, I was absolutely beside myself. I was astonished. She had gotten the absolute shit kicked out of her. It's one of the worst I've ever seen in my entire life. Both her eyes were completely swelled shut. Uh, her face had two significant cuts, one on the chin. There was blood coming from the side of her head. This was absolutely unbelievable. When you have two eyes that are swollen and one looks bigger than the other one, let me tell you how that works. That's when you get somebody on the ground like an MMA and you ground and pound. So the bigger one is probably from your stronger hand while you have someone on the ground punching them with both hands just swinging. That's usually how that works. And this was a very, very, very horrid and harrowing situation to be in. It was scary enough looking at that, but what happened after that was probably the scariest thing I've ever seen in my life. The family just absolutely shrieks. Everybody gets up from the table. One of the guys, the oldest brother, flips the table. And they start just absolutely going insane. Louder than they've ever been before. And I thought for sure this is going to trigger the parents to come downstairs for this. I mean, how, how do you not, right? Or in, in this case, just come out. I don't remember if... No, their room was not upstairs. It was on the... Uh, upstairs is where a couple of the kids left. It doesn't matter. The point is, is that... This was not a normal poker commotion. As you could hear from the context clues, something very bad had happened and it most certainly had to this young girl. Without even knowing what happened, I already thought about just, you know, going over with these guys to that guy's house tonight and just really making sure that, that he could never enjoy food again. It's kind of how I look at that type of thing. If, if indeed that is what, you know, had happened, but we didn't really know. 
until we got into exactly what went down. The youngest of the brothers kind of disappeared as we were all looking at her and she was crying. She needed medical attention immediately. And she also kept on that whole, you know, that, that narrative of it's not his fault, you don't understand. And this is what, this is what women say constantly uh, when this happens. You might wonder why uh, women stay in abusive relationships. It's typically because of the way that they were raised and what they saw. It's almost a subconscious want to, for this to happen. Uh, it's, it's, it's mind-blowing. And this had been a certain toxic household to grow up in where something like this would absolutely happen. It all made perfect sense. I don't need to be a uh, Freud or some psychiatrist to understand how that works. I've seen it before, but never, never quite like this. So in all the commotion, <clears throat> the younger brother comes down the steps with a loaded Beretta magazine in, uh, very apparent what his agenda was, and he starts walking to the door. Uh, immediately when that happened, I just remember thinking someone's going to die tonight. Someone is going to die. Either him, someone else, maybe a police officer, unfortunately, or someone's going to get shot because this kid, I saw it in his face. I've said this before. There's all so many emotions that we fake as humans. We fake sadness. We fake happiness. We fake security. We fake anger. But you cannot fake rage. It's the most beautiful and rawest emotion a human being can display. You, know, you hear people say, I was in a fit of rage. Were you? Were you? I was having a panic attack. Were you? No, I don't think you did. I had a panic attack once. Did you think you were dying? No. Well, then you didn't have a panic attack. But I can tell you right now, I've seen this in the mirror once with myself. I've seen it once in Exton, Pennsylvania. I've seen it again in Estero, Florida. And I saw it in Charleston, South Carolina. A fit of rage, the face of rage. Rage is so dangerous because for that split time, you're in that, not that split second, but for that time frame, you become like an animal and you have absolutely no, no qualms about any type of legal recourse or anything that will happen. In other words, logic is completely subtracted from your thought process and your body, making you as dangerous as dangerous can be. This kid was already dangerous in the morning drinking his coffee, let alone drunk at night, watching his sister get the shit kicked out of her, and he was going to exact revenge tonight. They tried to get the gun away from him, and then he started pointing it at people. He pointed it in my direction. That's only the second, that would be the second time that's ever happened to me, and hopefully the last where a loaded gun was pointed in my direction. The gun was pointed at the two brothers, and I think they realized he was not messing around. He was going to, he was absolutely a 10 out of 10 as far as it gets for rage, anger, drunk with already wanting vengeance the whole nine yards. Amidst all the yelling, the hollering, the cursing, the screaming, and the horror of what I was witnessing all the way from this girl's face to the gun in the youngest of the son's hands, I, I really didn't know what to do. I was about to piss myself. I've never been this scared. I had too much emotion running through me, as you can imagine. I just sat there like a mannequin because I didn't really understand what I had to do. And this dude's walking to his car, and he's going to leave, and he's going to kill somebody. It's just that simple, which would just only restart the very thing that his father began to do by him being a shitty father his entire life. I saw the mother from the side of the house screaming to get someone to stop him from getting into that car. But if you tried to stop him, he was going to point that gun at you. He had already done that to his brothers like twice the girl, the youngest daughter is just screaming. The eldest daughter doesn't know what to do. She's just going absolutely insane. 
we're in front of the car trying to stand in front of the car or behind it so he can't move it. But then we realize he'll just run you over. He doesn't care. This is going to happen. He'll kill, someone just to be, he'll kill someone just so he can kill that guy. That's kind of how I thought. And I don't really hang out with people like this, you know? I hang out with every now I mean, I have some weird associates from a, a while ago. Who, who doesn't? But, but this are associations. But, you know, this is, this is insane. This is all really new to me. All right? And then that father comes out. And everybody kind of stops. And everybody just kind of stares at him. He was not what I expected. I don't know. I expected a man that was just, I don't even know what I expected. The dad was a little taller than all the kids. He was about 6'2". He didn't have a shirt on, probably in his mid to late 50s. And let me tell you right now, he was scarier looking than the three brothers who were built and casted from absolute iron. He also had a lot of scars on his chest with a lot of tattoos, one being an Aryan Brotherhood tattoo that I'm pretty sure he got when he was in prison. His body was another roadmap of what he's been through, both negative, positive, everything in between. And he starts walking over to the car real slowly, and he points that gun right at his dad's head, and he says, fucking stay right there. He goes through this. He keeps trying to explain to his father why he's going to kill him. He's cursing. He's going insane. But the dad just keeps walking towards him. And at one point, after all of this insanity, I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch a, a son shoot his father in the head. I didn't even know what to do. I just kind of like, but can I not watch this? Like, I didn't sign up for any of this. But you can't help but watch. I don't really know what to say. Finally, after the last warning he gave his dad, I mean, this is it. And his dad comes right up to that gun, right as forehead is two inches from that gun. He slowly puts his hand up. He moves that gun down like some sort of movie scene. And then the son cracks him right in the face with his left hand. I, he just punched that shit out of him. But it didn't even phase the father who had inflicted enough punishment on this family emotionally and physically for a millennium, let alone one punch from his son. He probably deserved a lot more. He didn't even respond to it. Took the magazine out of the gun. And then his son just kind of embraced him. And they had this family moment, the likes of which I've never seen. And as I sat there next to my friend's car with the crippled mother, the battered youngest daughter, both the brothers and the eldest sister, they formed a family union that you could feel, let alone see. This family had been through so much. And I think this father understood that this is probably his fault. He takes his hand and he puts it on his youngest daughter's chin to look at the unbelievable amount of damage that was inflicted upon this beautiful, small, young woman. And he just shakes his head but didn't say anything. And as the one of the sons and then the youngest one tells their dad what they're going to do. We need to do something now. We need to do all of this. He just tells them to be quiet as he continues to look at his daughter. And I guarantee you in this look, I have never seen a look of sorrow, horror, remorse. I have never seen this type of look in my life and just controlled anger. As he looked right into his daughter's eyes and probably saw this is his fault. Indirectly. When this guy speaks, I guess people listen because nobody was really talking over him at this point. And he looks at his son and he says, 
Now is not the time, son. Now is not the time. There's a lot going on there. Now is not the time because now is not the time. If you were going to do something reactionary at this point, you would basically be serving yourself up to the police. And nothing would come accomplished except you'd go to jail for the rest of your life or at least for a long time for manslaughter or whatever, what, what have you. There was so much going on here for so many reasons, but he's right, now is not the time. The scary part about this is, is the dad, not only did he know it's not the time, had the composure to sit there and look at his beat daughter and his crazy son with a loaded weapon that wanted to avenge what just happened to her. He did not say, however, there will not be a time. He just said, now is not the time, son. Which implies that one day or at one time in the near future, oh, there's going to be a time. And something tells me when that time comes, they're not exactly going to call the local police department. That's the last time I was ever at these people's house. Uh, I think that was too much for me to see. I think they understood that. For the first time, instead of me sleeping in the guest room, I always did. My buddy, we'll call him Joe, asked me to go to a different room on the very, very far end of like the attic almost. They had to have a little family powwow, and he told me, don't, don't come down and listen. I said, dude, I'm going in the room, I'm going to bed, I'll see you in the morning. But they had to have a little family powwow. <clears throat> they took her to the hospital that night, and of course, there's a ton of questions. This is the type of stuff you can't just like treat at your own house. I'm not really sure what happened after that. I never asked, but we did indeed find out that she was beaten by her drunk boyfriend nearly half to death, it looked like to me. And the look in that father's eyes when he looked at his daughter, it did so much to me because it wasn't just the fact that she was beat. It's like the man just saw everything that he had done. It was like complete life flashback right in front of his eyes of how he had constructed this monster by being a completely trash father. Now, before I get off the rails here, I'm not. <clears throat> but there's just something about a father's relationship you know, with their daughter, which we're going to get into uh, soon. Not today. But I understand that a father's love for his son is one thing and a daughter is another. I'll never have a son. I do have a young daughter. She'll be five in a few weeks. But I can just tell you that we as men, we kind of have an understanding, I guess, that we don't quite understand in this department. It took me forever to understand this, unfortunately, but at least better now than late or, you know, how they say or whatever they say. The point is, is that this father had completely screwed up the way he did things. I'm sure you understand that. And as men, we really don't want to do that. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to jail for beating our wife and all this stuff. I just feel that it all kind of piles into one as far as now is not the time, son. Let's say this God thing is real. Let's just say it's real, right? And let's say when you die, you have to get in front of him. And let's just say, for whatever reason, that God's like, all right, tell me about your, your, your relationship with your wife. And I'm like, well, you see, do you see God? Look, man, my wife, you know, she isn't really the best. She's kind of crazy and I can justify some of this. He's like, yeah, yeah, I, I, I get it. I get it, Belts. You know, that's why I gave Adam, you know, Eve. I was tired of seeing him play with himself in the Garden of Eden. So I gave him this little, you know, female over here. I know they're all nuts, but that doesn't, you don't get a full pass for being a horrible husband. I'll give you a C minus. Some of this was her fault. Most of it's yours. What about this daughter thing, Belts? Can you explain that to me? Well, God, you see, I got, sorry, speak up, Belts. What's that? Well, the thing about it is when I was drinking, uh, I'm sorry, man. I'm speaking to my good air over here. My point is that there is no excuse. It almost makes 
it almost makes it almost a complete graphic, horrific, full, complete stop after going 100 miles an hour to understand kind of what we have to do here and to set up what I want to talk about in the future and to what I just spoke about. One day, one day, a person is going to come up to me and ask me a very simple, honest, and reasonable question. Someone's going to come up and say, uh, Belts, yeah, you, are you this young girl's parent or legal guardian? I'll try not to relish too much when this finally happens, but I'm going to smile and say, I'm her legal parent. And also, I am absolutely her guardian. I'm going to say that with a little angst. Not a lot, just a little. Just a little, pow, a little dash of angst. Why? Because we need to spice this bitch up a little bit because people need to know. As a matter of fact, I won't say this, I'm her guardian before I'm her father. And it's not just guarding against abusive boyfriends or trafficking or all the things the world's going to offer our kids at a ludicrously long age, young age. It's about all the small things that we just don't do, having dinner, all these things we prioritize over that. And when you do all that, I'm not saying it ends up, your daughter ends up getting beaten, but I'm saying when it all collects, it is a lot of weight to bear. We are going to talk about that eventually. But as far as now is not the time, son... We typically do things like this all the time. When something crazy happens, we react, and the reaction is really not planned out. It's, it's not equivalent to what just happened. It's 10 times worse, and because of that, we, just, we don't really do things too well, especially in the revenge department. We just talked about that last week. But I was glad that old man was able to rein everybody back in and tell his son, son, don't be like me, basically. Don't go to jail and ruin whatever life you may have, like I ruined yours and ruined my own. Because now is not the time, son. Now is not the time. And you best believe we'll be getting back to that at some point. Magic mirror on the wall. My picks last week really sucked. Can you help? Oh, Daddy Belts, quiet. It's my turn. It's been a while. Oh, you stuck the NFL last week by a country mile. Rogers looked drunk. Belts, that bet was sunk. Like Bro Exotic says, let's go blue wave gung-ho. I hear you're looking at Louisiana Monroe. Been a while. The press secretary's a drone. Hey, Belts, Duke's a big dog. Gonna throw them a bone? You fall into more traps than Marvin Harry. You know from Home Alone, yeah, I get it. Silence! I like Joe. My favorite president was Barry. Hey, Belts, who's playing quarterback for the Saints tonight? Charlie Batch? Ha <laughs> ha! Look at me. Also, Bailey Zappi. MVP! Mirror out. <laughs> Let's get the mirror out of here. I don't even know where that guy comes from sometimes. He just kind of strolls around the house. Probably started charging him rent. Scared the hell out of my cat last night. Troy, South Alabama. They played tonight. This is the two best defenses in one of my favorite conferences in all of college football. If you look at South Alabama, though, it looks like they can really get it up there. They scared UCLA immensely. Troy will slow games down, run the ball. Actually, both teams will run the ball This is a ridiculously low total for nearly any two teams in this conference. And I just feel like everyone I know is on the over. I do not see South Alabama controlling this game. I can't really decide on a side. I've only done two unders all year, haven't won either. When I'm going back to the well, Troy, South Alabama tonight under the 47 and a half out there in Mobile, Alabama. It's going to be cold, no rain, weather should be fine. But I have a feeling you're going to see a defensive standoff here a lot more. Then some shootout, and we'll probably have to sweat overtime when it's 17 to 20 late and some team's lining up for a field goal. But I'm taking him. And I'm also looking at the Army, Louisiana, Monroe. UL Monroe has been playing out of their ass lately. They almost beat South Alabama as a 21-point underdog. 
They almost beat Coastal Carolina as a 16-point underdog. They're really getting it together for a lot of different reasons, and part of that is because their sophomore quarterback, Chandler Rogers, the dual threat, is really beginning to unleash that deep ball. Bowden's starting to let him get a little loose more, explore the studio space on some of these posts. I think they're going to score some points. The Army's been banged up all year with injuries, all year to their offensive line, their quarterback, and their running back. Jemel Jones, the quarterback for the Army, he's going to be 100%. So is this Army offensive line. I don't think Army can really stop UL Monroe. I know UL Monroe won't be able to really stop Army. It's kind of a low total. It could be a trap. I don't care. I'm going with it. Or Army. <clears throat> UL Monroe over the 55 and a half for the second play on the record. Moving on. Miami's the biggest disappointment probably in the entire country next to Texas A&M only because Miami lost to Texas A&M. But clearly the crystal ball experiment has not gotten off to a start that any Miami fan would like. They're kind of the laughing stock of not just the ACC, the Athletically Challenged Conference, but also they are a big joke nationally. Duke gave North Carolina all they wanted to their rival last week. North Carolina scores a touchdown in the waning seconds of the game. How is Miami a nine-point favorite at home over Duke? I'll tell you this, Duke's the biggest public dog so far of 2022. 82% of the tickets Coming in hot on Duke, that is a lot of tickets for a team that's really not that good. I think this goes one of two ways. Duke wins the game and it's a horrible bet, or Miami just suffocates these guys and wins 31-10. to 10. I'm going to have to go against the general public here. This is a public underdog. I'm fading the public underdog. Miami's finally healthy on their defensive line, what it appears to be for the first time all year. It's dancing around 9 to 9.5, sits at 9 right now. We're taking a team and laying nine points. Clearly, we think it's going to be a blowout. I'm taking Miami on the record to blow out Duke, minus the nine. Kansas State, only one loss this year at home to Tulane. Other than that, Kansas State has done what they need to do to win. They're not a good favorite. They're always a great underdog. And what a better spot than getting four and a half points Saturday versus Texas Christian. Texas Christian dispatched most of the teams they play off really high-octane offense, a pretty good defense. Kansas State will be able to run the football on them, I, I feel. I saw it get on to four at 1.3.5, back up to four. It's at four and a half now. By the time you hear this, I don't know where it's going to be. We are on the record taking Kansas State on the road plus the four and a half in Fort Worth, Dallas, or Fort Worth, Texas. So college on the record, South Alabama under 47 and a half. Army, UL Monroe. Over the 55 and a half. Miami minus nine versus Duke. Kansas State plus four and a half versus TCU. And here are the Instagram games where I'm probably going to play at least one or two of these. ECU plus five at home versus Central Florida. I think a lot of us are still really riding high off Central Florida. Whipping Temple on national television last week. Good for you, Gus Malzahn. East Carolina is a rough customer at home. Five points may be too many. We're looking at ECU. North Texas, the living walking over. Goes to San Antonio to play UTSA. Opened up at 70. It's at 72. I'm not going to put this on yet because there are some injuries and I keep getting cocked when it comes to this. I'm probably going to take the over. I don't know if North Texas will score as many points. Maybe so, but I don't see how UTSA won't score in the 40s. I'm either taking this total or UTSA's team total. Check the Instagram page. Cincinnati goes to Southern Millionaires. How is Cincinnati an undefeated ranked team only laying three and a half? In Dallas, Texas, I have no idea. We're probably going to find out. It's SMU or nothing. Syracuse, Clemson. Clemson, their defense seems to be coming along a little bit, but so does Syracuse, who only wants to grind out this clock 
and play defense. They're very physical up front. Got to give Babers his props. I believe they're still undefeated, and so is Clemson. But at the same time, this total <clears throat> sits at like a pro total at 51. Got bet down to 49.5. So we're looking at the under in Syracuse Clemson, under 49.5 in two games in pro. We should bet the Patriots every time with Bailey Zabby, but the first time I do that, they'll probably lose. The Lions overtrain after their bye. Could be back on track here. Lions at Dallas opened up at 7, now sits at 49. Looking at that over. And then the Texans travel. God, I'm dying over here to Las Vegas. That total sits at 45 right now. We'll be looking at those. On the record, South Alabama under 47.5. UL Monroe over 55.5. Miami minus 9 versus Duke. Kansas State plus 4.5. Looking at, looking at, not official, ECU plus 5. North Texas, UTSA over 72. Southern Millionaires plus 3.5. Syracuse, Clemson under the 49.5. Texans, Las Vegas over the 45. And the good old Lions... With the bye week going to Dallas, Lions, Cowboys, <clears throat> over the 49 and a half. I'll play at least two of these on the podcast page at the Sports Antidote. Be sure and reach out, touch a brother, and tell somebody about the Sports Antidote today. Has anybody seen The Drunk Neighbor? Drunk neighbor joins the sports antidote. You missed last week, pal. That's okay. How was Vegas? Oh, yeah, you got a nice bourbon there. Can they hear the rocks? Because they usually can hear the beer can. You're on. You're on the brown. Yeah, board. I've had a few belts. What of it? What of it? Um, <laughs> so, man, let's uh, let's just pick up real quick. LSU, Tennessee. It was a mess. What's your take? What you got? So I flew to Vegas in <laughs> Southwest. Stayed at the Excalibur for five nights. <laughs> Flew home on Spirit Airlines, and it was more enjoyable than sitting there and watching LSU just take it up the ass from Rocky Top. Because let me tell you something: the Excalibur, which I I'll send, I think I sent you the picture. It was on my Instagram of his. It, I opened up the window; it was just bricks, bricks right out the window. Yes, that's the beautiful Excalibur. There was no king, by the way. There I is knew. The, there is. I the... knew the queen was dead. But for God, <laughs> for King Christ. Richard. But anyways, it, did you see the thunder from down under though? No? Uh, I did. They were taking pictures, and you know what? Some of those poor guys were getting sexually harassed. Well, we need to. Yeah, me too. Uh, on the other side, yeah. him too. Him too. Yes, that's right. Him, they too. Oh, sorry, you had to stay. When you told me you were staying at the Excalibur, I did have a little chuckle. Uh, yeah, there was three. So our company had like <laughs> six people there, and three of them changed rooms. I my room was gross, but it wasn't like there was no pubes. So, nice. anyways, let's stick to the script here. Go ahead. Uh, so LSU Tennessee from the get go, it was absolute disaster. I, and you know, I I hate to do this like. But we have to. I have to address this because it's been so positive. It's been positive, drunk neighbor. Encouragement has been the word. Encouragement has been the word for a long time now. But that game was. It was a disaster from the get go. Uh, special teams. So there is an epidemic throughout college football, and it is. And honestly, the NFL has a has an issue too. They do. Uh, but I mean, college football from. Top to bottom, we're having this issue. You saw Nick Saban. I think everybody by now has seen that thing where he is like shaking and yelling and screaming. It was in the second quarter against Tennessee. The punt returner, for once, 
stays away from the football, and I'm not saying for once on behalf of Alabama, I'm saying on behalf of college football fans everywhere, stays away from the ball, and some idiot goes and just tries to pick the foot. Sorry, people out there on in your cars. Uh, he tries to pick up the football, bounces right off of him, and another kid picks him up. And, and it was Tennessee. And by the way, and I'm going to tie this all in, Tennessee actually does not make these mistakes for the most part on, on special teams, but they do seem to recover footballs that other teams just kick out of bounds. And yes, Jack Besh on the first play of the LSU game just Woo! lets a ball just bounce around. And you know what? And, and let's get back to LSU Tennessee. Sorry, I'm, I, but we're only three minutes in. I'm jumping around. So it's okay. He could have done literally anything else. I was sitting there at the game, and I was like, what the hell are you doing? I was like, you could have literally done anything else. You could have taken that ball and punted it, left into and gone out of bounds at the one-yard line, and it would have been better than just sitting there and looking at it. It was unbelievable. It went off his knee, and then he stopped. The dude that picked it up for Tennessee looked like he couldn't believe it. He was like, that's how you want to start the game off? All right, here we go. <laughs> and Jack Besh is sitting there looking like uh, the movie uh, The Graduate. Where, are you trying to seduce me, Mrs. Robinson? <laughs> Just staring at the football. And and before they even know it, anything's going on, Tennessee picks it up. Give the best offense in college football, the best offense since 2019 LSU, the football at the 10-yard line, and it just opened it up. And, you know, there's really not much to go into other than that. Like, it set the tone for the rest of the day. LSU couldn't get it going all day. Jaden Daniels never really looked that comfortable. His stats were a lot better, but it it just never got good. But then, and I would have said this last week, I did not think that we were going to beat Florida, but I thought that we needed to beat Florida. But I was like, well, this is where it all just... Could have happened. I thought it was all going downhill, but then I forgot. We talked about Lurch the Cuck a few weeks ago. We did, yes. (laughs) Much like Lurch the Cuck, a.k.a. Mississippi State, Florida has kind of gotten used to just taking an ass whipping from LSU. Yeah. And it's kind of like the opponent that we're going to be playing this week. Oh, Miss, this this brings up, when we talked about this, you know, you have a team that's in the top ten. I feel like this happens once a year. And they're going on the road to a team that hasn't been that impressive. And then no matter what the opening line is, whatever, LSU's favored. And immediately I feel a lot of people will initially jump on Ole Miss when Gambling logic would tell you to go probably the other way. Number seven versus a young ring team. What? Take my money. Yeah, but what is this? Your... Is how casinos are built. This is maybe how they keep the lights on. I agree. How they're built. All of these things. Uh, we know, and this is your bit on this. I don't want to run into you much, but we talked about this two weeks ago. What this team needs. What this show needs is less of you and more of me. More of me. No, no, no. You're no. <laughs> I, you're you're hitting the nail on the head though because. LSU's kind of finding their groove. Like, I, I know I you have to feel a little better about the Tennessee loss after what they did to Alabama. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, especially after the game that Bryce Young played, which that kid is 
pretty damn amazing. He's incredible. And and yes, we hear all the excuses now. Alabama. And yes, they're down. This is like the WWE where the bad guy wins right before the pay-per-view. And everybody's <laughs> like, oh no, John Cena, he'll never win again. And then he <laughs> wins at WrestleMania. And yes, yes, yes. So we're, we have to be a little concerned there. Um, where we should be excited about LSU. Jaden Daniels looked pretty damn good. He did. Thought he looked really good. Can I call out what he did best? Go ahead. Anticipation routes. We haven't seen that all year. Throwing balls to a spot, not to a man. Mm -hmm. And guess who showed up? Boutet. That bad man, number seven. Now, let's not confuse him with that scary man, Harold Perkins, who we're going to talk about here in just a moment. But Keishon Boutet... Let me tell you, when you get that man going, and Brian Kelly, after the game, talked about how all week he was like their best player in practice. Starting to get going, starting to get going. starting. To get, and if you look back at his last couple of years, it really was in October where he started to catch fire where his stat lines just start shooting up. So he's kind of a quiet guy. Everybody was like kicking him out. And, and you know, I'll say it myself. I was a little frustrated at the beginning of the year. Well, he looked him. uninterested. Well, That's the problem with some... Very much The one so. that I have, it's like at least you, he didn't look like he really cared. You know what I mean? Well, very much so. And then you had Jack Besh, who looked <laughs> like he was on planet Xena or whatever, like somewhere else. Xena. The last two, three games, and including his stupid fumble against Florida last week, where it's oh, like, God. what are you doing, son? Yeah, I don't get it. And then he shows up in street clothes in the second half, by the way, and that's Jack Besh. I, I don't. They say he's got a back, and yeah, yeah. I, I think he's just. I, I think some people. I don't know. Maybe just not cut out for this. I, I. We'll we'll find out. We'll find out. But let's let's get over to Ole Miss. So I, I'm sorry. I know I'm jumping around. You're this fine. is true you're drunk right, neighbor dude, form. You're right in line. I like it. Go this ahead. is true drunk neighbor form. Just really skipping around. But uh, not really. You're I, on, you got it. I want to talk about how this LSU Ole Miss matchup. So Lane Kiffin, who everyone knows, wanted this LSU job very badly because who wants to coach at Ole Miss? You talk about a shithole. You talk about Lurch the Cuck University. Mississippi State and Ole Miss play the Egg Bowl every year so that they don't get to call, get to be called Lurch the Cuck. Like that is like, and Florida gets a third runner, gets a bronze medal. They get the bronze. So when you look at these teams, and let's not get that confused with the Arkan frauds out of the West, who I believed in the last two years and have been frauds. So they come to town this weekend, and I. Please don't bet this game because I I can't have another Danny Belts alternative line on LSU because we and I know it wouldn't have to be alternative line LSU's favorite but I really think we're gonna beat them. Yeah, I I agree. I, I'm not gonna put it on the on I'm the show. <laughs> I think we're gonna run them out the gym. I am. Yeah, me. I am over two in the alternate lines. Uh, it's kind of sucks, but uh, I I just look at Ole Miss. And I did what? Now we know nobody wins at Tulsa, right? I think someone once told you that. <laughs> we'll that, talk. We'll about, save that. We'll for the save off that. Season. But this wasn't in. This wasn't in Tulsa. This was in Ole Miss. 
That game was not. Uh, that wasn't with these. Uh, they were there all game. And at one point in Kentucky. that game, uh, the Tulsa when they played oh, at Ole Tulsa Miss, in time. Yeah. At one point, that game could have went either way. And then you look at kind of the Vanderbilt game. These bad teams seem to have one thing in common. They are racking up a mile of yards on this defense. Um, we saw their coordinator go ballistic uh, when they beat Kentucky on some random fumble. They should have lost that game, uh, but which was targeting. Yeah, no, but they I, never threw the flag. I, I on first round draft pick will last. <laughs> so what do you see in this game? I mean, I mean LSU's favorite for a reason. I agree with it. But what do you think? What's your not necessarily your prediction yet? But how do you see this going? What do you think? Will happen? All right. So a lot of people are going to see the Tennessee game and then the Florida game, and they're going to really look at how. LSU gave up, uh, what was it, 35 points to Florida. 14 of those in the second half. One of them on that one big play by AR-15, but I don't want to be called that anymore. I'm going to say it every week. <laughs> I'm going to say it every week. I was waiting for but it. But I hate guns, but my name's AR-15. But don't call me that. <laughs> but, you know. So, anyhow. <laughs> they, they did run for some yards in that game, most on that one big play. Ole Miss is not typical Ole Miss where they just throw the ball all, all over the field. Jackson Dart. Dart. Nice name. What travel ball team did you play first base for? <laughs> so they they have a great running game. But show me who they've run the football against. And this is where I think LSU's had some great play from Jaqueline Roy and Wingo up front, right in the center. That scary man, let's reference him again, since we've been calling out way before the season, Harold Perkins. That linebacker, if he is on the field, he's going to make plays. And with the running backs that Ole Miss has, I think he's going to be just chasing them all game. That kid Penn for LSU, too. And keep an eye out. I think he's number 30. His last name is Penn. And he's like the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh. He's got his... Roman numeral on his back, too. Somebody can, Jamie, look that up. But he's got a Roman numeral on the back, too. He chases people all around. Those two guys together in Baskerville, we have good linebackers at LSU. And also, the defensive backs, especially at the safety level, actually play the run better than, I'm going to say this, better than most people in the NFL do. Like, they actually play the run better than most safeties in the NFL do. Like, they truly get up to the next level and hit the shit out of these kids. So, if Ole Miss is going to have a day, they're going to have to keep running the football because this is not Lane Kiffin's typical team where they're throwing it all over the yard. They are running for most of their yards, and I don't think that happens this weekend. So, if LSU can get ahead, for God's sakes, just one week, can we get out ahead of a team and make Ole Miss play from behind? And then have because LSU all year, and I'm, I'm this I'm gonna make this I'm gonna wrap this up but here but it's like that video that I sent you where it's George Foreman talking about when he was fighting Muhammad Ali and he's hitting him as hard as he could and he said and Ali turned to him and he said is that all you got George <laughs> that feels like LSU for most of the year they take everybody's first big punch as hard as they can and then they just recover and beat you now granted. Florida State, yes, yes, yeah, and Tennessee, all right, it didn't work out against the number three team in the country, but everybody else, they've taken the punches and have bounced back and played well. Disciplined football team, I'm loving Brian Kelly, I think this is going to be a win this week, I think that they come into LSU, it sucks it's not a night game, it just feels like 
we needed a break from Joe Tessitore and the whole oh. don't back down thing that we got at Florida, which I think spawned the 81-yard run. Don't back down. Tom Petty died of an overdose by himself at like the age of 60-something. What a miserable life. And we're going to, oh, Tom Petty, Tom Petty, Tom Petty. Well, you know what? He did back down, all right? To thine own self be true, except for him, because he's out. And I don't give a shit if that's blasphemous, because I don't like him. And I got so sick of that entire fourth quarter in the swamp hearing about it. And it's not that cool of a tradition. It's just not. Like, it's not the band playing neck. It's not, you know, it's not Hail to the Victors. It's not Touchdown Jesus. It's not Boomer Sooner. It's none of that. It's not Dixieland Delight. It's not Rocky Top. It's some false narrative bullshit that now we have to listen to. And yes, yeah. If anyone really wants to laugh, go to YouTube. Look, you're going to have to go to Google for I'm going to put you down a rabbit hole here. Go to Google, look up what year Tom Petty died cuz I don't give a shit. I don't remember when it was. <laughs> then YouTube Flor LSU at Florida Tom Petty tribute LSU band that same year and you will watch a very funny video of a white trash member in jorts getting trolled by the LSU band while the Florida band was trying to play Don't Back Down. That's all I have to say about that. Watch, or uh, I won't back down. Not don't Back Down. Never Back Down. Never the back UFC down. movie. Uh, anyways, <laughs> LSU rolls this weekend. I think 34-20. 34-20 from the drunk neighbor. Is that your final answer on that? Wait a second. He's thinking. 34-21, perhaps. I think he blew a gasket. 35-23. 35-23, ladies and gentlemen. You and there's not going to be any special teams mistakes. They're going to clean it up this week. Uh, quick question before we leave. If LSU does receive the kick, do you think Brian Kelly has already had like a preordained wave your hand in the air for a fair catch? <laughs> I think that they might put uh, Boutte back there. We'll on, the, on the kick. Might not be a fair catch if he's running it out there. No, let it go. Yeah, but no more white boys on kick returns. All right. You got anything else? Wave away. Uh, go Tigers. Go Tigers. Go to hell, Ole Miss. <laughs> Are you a white person who wants a lot of credit for helping to create racial equality while you do nothing to help create racial equality? If so, that means you want to be a woke white person. So listen up, because I'm going to give you your PhD in wokeology. Bro Exotic joins the sports antidote here. How you doing there, pal? Uh, what's going on, dude? Bro Exotic, uh, Vice Pope, Cow, Church of Woke. What's going on, dude? Sick. i tell you what's going on. You're going on. And last week, Tulane had it going on. Bro Exotic comes in, laying the 12 on the road. And Tulane brought eminent and unbelievable disaster to the house of South Florida, was it? Uh, yeah, dude. Yeah, dude. Brought, uh, brought some pain to those uh, South Florida Bull Connor dog or Bull Connors. Bull uh, Connors brought, denying brought that, climate uh, climate crisis deniers. Absolutely, dude. Hashtag PBLM. Pull it Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. Hashtag. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, man. Tulane looked really good. Uh, that was a, that was a whipping. I think a lot of people, just so you know, actually really liked that pick. 
and they actually went out and hammered that. So you made a lot of people a lot of money. Congratulations, Bro Exotic, because I believe you're back to 500 now, correct? Three and three? Uh, that is correct, dude. Yeah. Uh, all money that was made, whether non-binary or cisgender, whichever currency you, uh, you use. I'm glad mm-hmm. you won that. Cisgender money spends, too. We talked about that. And that's kind of the money that's coming in here. Your pick is highly anticipated this week. I have no idea where you're going. Some people don't believe me, but it's better when we just, excuse me, go off the cuff. So with that being said, bro, why don't you go ahead and take us away? Yeah, dude, a great travesty has happened uh, in a school down south. Uh, There is a uh, trans student, Grant Sykes, who identifies (laughs) as a woman. Here we go. Was denied entry to all sorority chapters at the University of Alabama. There's nearly 20 chapters. So this was blatant, organized transphobia. Uh, I mean, the, the crimson red tide. We don't want a red tide. We want a green wave uh, this November 8th. Uh, I mean, and they're freaking MAGA elephants. Hashtag women's rights. So we have to cancel Bama. Absolutely, dude. So we're going to back the uh, Mississippi State Bulldogs uh, plus 21 and a half. So I was just waiting for the crimson tide, there's a red wave, an elephant. It really represents everything that would be not bro exotic. I mean, I'm talking 100% a red wave and literally a big racist climate denying elephant. I'm sure he. I'm sure the elephant is also a climate crisis denier as well. Correct? Absolutely, Do you know that? dude. Absolutely, yeah. dude. He. Uh, they make backdoor beatings with uh, Ron DeSantis, and they they like to plot how they can uh, just ruin the world, dude, uh, and just keep denying climate change as long as they can uh just while uh, being transphobic racist saban also opposed the me too movement i'm sure that did not sit well in the church woke uh did did not know that i was unaware of that uh gonna go ahead and cancel uh nick satan whatever his name is dude uh we're not gonna Bro, I'm, that, not, dude. I'm not gonna lie i kind of just made that up but doesn't he seem like a guy that would you know i mean i know we don't want to take too many reaches here but well, you can't trust all those short people, you know. You really can't. They're, all, they're, always, they're always trying to get something from you. They're always trying to pull the wool over your eyes, dude. That's right. Or steal your pocketbook, things of that nature. So you are taking Mississippi State plus the 21 and a half. Okay, let's see. I'm going to break this down here. Usually there's some corollaries. Mississippi State Bulldogs. We're backing the Bulldogs this week, but yet we were not backing the bulls last week bro i see some inconsistencies here oh no dude i mean look people have asked me this before apparently allegedly i said you know something about bull connor and you know how he started dog fights during the civil rights era michael vick style to that belt i will say exactly what our brave and brilliant white house press secretary kareen john pierre says oh Uh, I don't even understand that question, so I'll be moving on now. Oh, wow. You know what? You, you should uh, – that was an amazing impersonation. I feel I hear that an awful lot. Uh, does the Church of Woke like her better than the previous press secretary, even though the previous one was a white female? This one is uh, an immigrant <laughs> lesbian. Of color. Uh, of yeah, color. So, yeah, did you just answer your own question, dude? I think I did. I don't even know why I try to, I yeah. try to stir the pot, but yet – the gumbo has already been stirred here. And so, dude, bro, but besides, besides that, dude, I mean, <laughs> well, while we're backing the bulldog, I mean, according, according to the American Kennel Club, bulldogs are the sixth most popular dog breed for African-American owners. So bulldogs are pretty woke, you know? 
I imagine they are pretty woke. Um, yeah, so we're going to go ahead and, wow, 21 and a half after a bit. You are betting against Alabama after an Alabama straight-up L. I like the moxie. I like the metal. And I like your non-binary, can I say balls, or is that, you know, I don't want to overstep. I like well, the pick, bro. I'm saying it's gutsy. Okay. All right, I appreciate it, dude. Yeah, I mean, all I care about is just canceling Bama, really. So uh, yeah. uh, I imagine uh, 21 uh, and a half points is quite a bit in football. I don't really understand football. I understand canceling. That's my culture. So yeah. you do understand canceling. Yes, we know that. Well, anyway, I do want to go on a tangent about Mississippi State's coach, Mike Leach, but I feel that we would be running this over five hours at that point. Bro, you are taking the Bulldogs 21 and a half. We've realized that the Alabama elephant is a climate climate denying massive mammal. We also know the red wave is going down, the green wave is coming in, and the Bulldogs you're backing this week have nothing to do with the Bulls you bet against last week. Do I have that correct? Uh, yeah, I, um, I still don't understand the question. Uh, so we can move on, though. But, yes, we will be fading the transphobic racist elephants uh, <laughs> and taking Mississippi State Bulldogs plus 21 and a half, dude. The force is strong with this one. Bro, anything you want to close with? Uh, yeah, no jokes. Stay woke, dude. And uh, see you next week, bro. Hashtag... I don't even know what to hashtag here. Hashtag white men's rights. Does that work? I mean, they already have all the rights, dude. Um, <laughs> I know. Give uh, us a hashtag, bro. Give us something before you leave. Uh, yeah, dude. Uh, we're gonna uh, we're gonna hashtag woke bulldog this week, dude. Uh, <laughs> really, really, really thinking it's a strong one. Uh, <laughs> you know what? Right. I haven't thrown a hashtag to you, Buffalo Riot Wings in a while. Hashtag uh, B Dubs, dude. There it is. Hashtag to Buffalo Ride Wings. Bro Exotic, God bless you. Or, I mean, you're, uh, excuse me, I know you don't like that. You're pansexual. Uh, Fauci, Fauci, bless me. Yeah, that's what I'm you're sorry. Right. Hell Fauci. Yes, that is correct. See, I still don't know the ways of the woke all the way. I'm always stepping in my own poo here. Still t- still student, dude. Student of the crowd. Still a student. Just when I come on a great rant three weeks ago and really quieted you, now I feel the tables have once again turned. Bro Exotic, thanks for joining the Sports Antidote. We look forward to having you on next week. Bye, right, bro. Take care. UN and OAS, they have their place, I guess. But first, send the Marines. Tommy Bench jumping on the sports antelope. What's going on there, bud? Uh, not much, Chief, except the Philadelphia Eagles are now 6-0, and I believe. It, I was waiting, and, for, waiting for that. Yeah, if you carry the one. Yeah, carry the one. And this isn't like golf where the lower the number, the better. It's, it's still like most normal sports where – I feel like I've watched the Eagles play like three or four times this year. I feel like it's the same movie. They come out to this ridiculous 14, 17, 21, nothing start. Yep. And then they just kind of hold serve and then they just win. There's nothing wrong with that. Yep. They just kind of fumble. I was a little worried because it looked like the Cowboys came out with some momentum Yeah. in the third quarter. I'm not saying anything you haven't heard 50 times on Philly sports radio. I'm sure by now at this point, I don't really but listen I, to sports radio, but go ahead. I, you know, it was a little worrisome. It's like, all right, are we going to give this game away? And then I think we we did score a touchdown in the fourth quarter, and that seemed to give us enough of a buffer. So again, I, as much as I want to sit here and talk trash and say the Eagles are going to go sixteen and zero, well, the, the truth is, I worry once we play, a, if, if a team gets ahead of us, are we built to come from behind? And I, I, I think worry. so. I mean, the, the the good the good part about that is you just you have to worry about it when you keep going up early in the national football league. But the one thing that is weird is you guys have scored like 
24th quarter points and you're still undefeated. That's unbelievable. Right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, they're a good team, man. Well coached, uh, least penalized team. I found that out. That makes sense. Uh, I don't know. Just looks like everybody hits their assignment. Hurts. Uh, looks like he's your guy. Uh, a lot better than most thought. I particular was I thought this really wouldn't translate well, but I feel as though it has. And uh, you guys are going to be good for a while. Young, we'll see. But the Cowboys win was really solid, man. Yeah, I was. I was a good win for Philly. We'll we'll take it. We'll take it. Jumping on to other things that'll be good wins. Election huh. Day is closing in, fewer than three weeks away, and I can't wait because, folks, a lot of you probably heard it here first on the Sports Antidote a few weeks back when when we made the call that you know what. The Dems hit their high water mark. I I think I think they are starting. The the tide is shifting. Talk about the tide turning in a game. Well, the, the tide started to turn. We called it early. We ended up being right. And now I'd say we're in full vindication mode. Almost every poll that has come out in the last seven to ten days has been an improvement for Republicans. So so what do I mean by that? Well, when I go to Real Clear Politics, and I mentioned that site before, and interestingly, Megan Kelly on her podcast said the first website she goes to every morning is Real Clear Politics. So great minds think alike. Um, Real Clear Politics, you look at the poll, and any poll, you know, say it's the Harvard Harris poll for the con- congressional, the general congressional ballot. If you look at what it is now versus the last one that came out, or the one that came out two to three weeks ago, depending some polling outfits put out polls more frequently. Every single poll has moved to the Republicans advantage. And in fact, almost all the races that have been changed. So these different polling outfits, real clear politics, uh, Sabato's crystal ball, uh, the UVA Senate, uh, excuse me, cook political report, even Nate silver, um, when they put out these analyses, you know, they rank races as being, you know, safe Dem, likely Dem, lean Dem, toss up, and then going the other way for Republicans. Every race that has been adjusted on the Senate side and even the governor's races, almost every single one that's had an adjustment in the last two weeks has moved in the Republicans' favor. Either Now, some of them, it's, it's that it moved from likely Dem to lean Dem. That doesn't necessarily mean the Republicans are going to win, but it's moving in the Republicans' favor. If it moves one more category, it's in the toss up. So... So what does all this mean? Well, there's there's an interesting thing happening right now where if you go on predict it and you look at the individual Senate races and you add all those up and, or, and you say, well, this person's in the lead, so let's assume they win. Democrats either end at 50-50 or even 51-49 in their favor. But when you look at the general question of who's going to control the Senate, it has now flipped at least when I checked it out this afternoon and we're recording on Wednesday, it showed that the, the, the majority of people believe that the Republicans are going to win the Senate. And, and there is a growing chorus of people looking at these races and, and political, political types who seem to be making those statements that, look, it's, it's moving in the Republicans' direction. They think Republicans are going to win. And it's further illustrated by when you go to places like Real Clear Politics, you know, they list off 176 seats in the House are considered safe or likely Dem. 221 are listed as safe or likely GOP with 38 toss ups. So so right there on that score alone, what they're saying is if the Republicans don't win a single toss up, they're going to end up with 221. You need 218 to have a majority. So 
they're forecasting the Republicans being in the majority. So then you have to start asking yourself, well, if Republicans and Democrats split those 38 seats, right? So if they each walk away with 19 seats, that puts the Republicans at a 240 seat majority. Now, what if the Republicans actually, yeah, I mean, if the Republicans run the table, you're talking about a majority that's almost unheard of. They would be at 259 if they ran the table on, on the uh, seats. And again, if they run the table, that means they might even pick off a few upsets. Um, I don't think that's going to happen. I think they will win a, a closer to two thirds of that amount at this point. And by the way, just a little preview, uh, I won't be able to join next week, but I will be on for our recording on November 2nd. And we will we will make a final prediction on where we think the House and the Senate and some of the important governor's races are going to land. Um, and right there, Bench, before you get in, I, I do want to make one quick comment just to clarify on what you said earlier, because there was some people asking me about sometimes like, what's up with, the, you know, the predictions and all you did say, I believe, yes, before. And this is the second time we've done this in almost two months. Right. Gavin Newsom. No one was talking about Gavin Newsom. Right. He's almost favored. He's almost favored on the Democrat Party side from nowhere. But what you said uh, weeks ago is when the Democrat just just to clarify here, when you said that the uh, <clears throat> the Democrats were you know surging, you said, I believe too early and two, it will calm down. And you even gave the right timeline. Just fucking add that you actually nailed right. the time and what you would happen. So your prediction was was great. And then the timeline of that was also extremely accurate, almost like the drunk neighbor guessing a score football game that he's done twice pretty impressive there tommy bench that's right that is that is pretty impressive uh, tony romo did that this past weekend as well i believe that was incredible when the chiefs game yeah that, that was, was uh, got to give him credit he's 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 pretty good at what he does so smug so, asshole like, go ahead. right so i essentially what i'm what i'm basically saying is i think we're going to end at a house that looks something like republicans having 243 to 245 seats um, again, fully partisan guy, so so maybe there's a little partisan index in there, but uh, I'm really thinking we're going to be in the plus two, 240 zone. Do I think something could happen that pushes that to plus 250? I, I don't know. We'd have to pick off some seats that are probably stretches for us. Do I think there's something that happens where we're under 230? I don't think so. There'd need to be a series of, of cataclysmic events for Republicans, and the truth is the Republicans are in a pretty strong position now that they have the momentum and they appear to be in the lead because they have control of nothing. And, and it's a somewhat easy position to play from because anything bad that happens, gas prices going up, further deterioration of the war in Ukraine, God forbid Putin you know, drops a nuke or something that just, you know, total gray swan type event. You know, Saudi Arabia is already saying we're not going to start pumping more oil. I, you know, I, I can't think of a piece of bad news that comes out that, can get can get lassoed around or rested on the necks and shoulders of every Republican. Now, could some Republican candidate, you know, from no, some state house rep in Nebraska say something really outrageous like, you know, oh, I think we should prosecute women who get raped and pregnant or right? Something something just so out there. <laughs> sure, somebody could say something stupid, but again, if it's if it's that outrageous, everybody else will circle the wagons and go, that guy doesn't represent us. And it'll be fairly easy to distance yourself from that. The problem with the Democrat Party is they have unified control of the government. So it's really hard for them to point to something bad that's happening. You know, their whole pitch is the adults were back in charge. Well, if you're in charge, you're doing a terrible job. Well, we're not really in charge, but you have unified power and control of government. 
well, there's forces outside of our control. So you're saying you're not in charge. Oh, no, the adults are in charge, but you're doing it. So it's really hard, especially when you're the party of big government and government can solve the world's problems and give the government more control. It really works against you when things are going poorly. And I think what that shows is government really doesn't have that much of an ability to control things for better or worse. The difference in, in as a general conservative principle is you try to take the view of, well, let's get government out of the way for people to make the decisions that are best for them, because the conservative view is the aggregate of people looking out for themselves, making the best decisions for themselves will result in a, a better and more prosperous community and a better place you'd want to live. So it's it's almost difficult to foresee some piece of bad news that could be, you know, put around the neck and rested on the shoulders of Republicans writ large that they would have to deal with over the next couple of weeks. Whereas it just seems, you know, every economic report that's coming out is not great. Um, you know, got a headline up here on Real Clear Politics right now saying Fed moves toward another 75 basis point rate hike. Look, that's what they have to do, but it doesn't mean it's going to have it, it, it's going to be well received. Um, Fortunately, unemployment's still staying relatively low, but you know you're going to start seeing mortgages at seven, eight, nine percent. People, people uh, who started saving—if you started saving two years ago, thinking, "All right, well, let's buckle down and save for a down payment. We'll save thirty thousand dollars, or you know, we'll save forty thousand dollars to make a twenty percent down payment on a two hundred thousand dollar house or a a three hundred thousand dollar house." I guarantee you, you're now having to totally recalculate the math because whatever you thought you could afford for a monthly payment based on a three or three and a half percent interest rate is so wildly different than what you think you can afford on a seven or eight percent interest rate. So people are getting squeezed in every, every single possible way financially, and it's going to be easier to connect that to the Democrats. So all of that to say, the momentum has firmly shifted toward the Republicans. Crime is continuing to be an issue. A day doesn't go by. You don't go on social media and see some horrifying video of you know an elderly person or an innocent woman you know getting beat, stabbed, or shot, or, or just something awful happening. And, and and it really underscores this idea that the defund the police, the Black Lives Matter rioting, all of that was such terrible policy decisions. But again, Democrats leaned into that full full fully and are going to have to live with that so let's 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 pick two things to look at real quickly surprises that are happening the new york governor race is shaping up to potentially be a competitive race which that statement in and of itself sounds ridiculous because even six months ago when maybe the red wave was looking really good and then it kind of deteriorated over the summer and now we're starting to head back in the right direction Nobody was thinking the New York gubernatorial race was going to be a competitive race. But all the polls show it's either within the margin of error or only a point outside of the margin of error. Now, I, I do think the Democrat will pull it out in the end, uh, unless there's some real undercurrents in maybe minority communities in New York City that aren't being captured well by polling, or unless you've got a lot of you know white liberals in New York City who are sick and tired of the crime that's popping up, but they'll never admit it to anyone out loud. But when they go in that polling booth, they're going to say, no, nah, I want a Republican in charge. So uh, unless something like that is happening and there's just a huge miss, um, I don't think Lee Zeldin's going to pull it out. But boy, if we get to election night and you hear about that race is, you know, is not called almost immediately after the polls close. And keep in mind, that's New York. It'll be on the East Coast. It'll be one of the first you know, major states to have their polls closed, if they don't pretty much close those polls and immediately call it, 
that's how you'll know we're having a good night for Republicans. And let alone if returns start getting in and, and then anchors on MSNBC start sweating um, that there could potentially be um, a Republican governor. One closing thought, the G- Georgia Senate race between Raphael Warnock and um, Herschel Walker. Dude, that is, a of, that is a bloodbath. Oh, they are, they, are, they are getting after it. And Herschel's yeah. not backing down. Good for him. Um, what's interesting, keep in mind, the dynamics in a Georgia election like that, if nobody crosses 50%, they go into a runoff. So that, you know, I hope both of them have the stomach and the endurance to, to go for another you know, month or so. Um, remember, that's what happened back in 2020, and, and that's where a lot of the criticism is because Trump was making the claims about election problems. A lot of Trump voters stayed home, and that's how Georgia put two Democrat senators in the Senate um, because a lot of Trump voters didn't go out and vote. I don't think we'll have that problem if if this goes to a runoff, and and I do think that is a high possibility because nobody seems to be, you know, really leaping ahead and getting you know, polling that's coming in, in, in the 50s. And in fact, as you look, look at the polling, there's one poll from a few weeks ago that showed Warnock was at 52%. But all the polls since then, both of the candidates are under 50%. And it does seem momentum is trending toward Herschel Walker, but can it trend enough that he actually gets over 50%? I don't know. Uh, the good thing is uh, the uh, gubernatorial race between Kemp and Stacey Abrams, Kemp's going to beat her. He might even beat her by double digits. I mean, he is just consistently and solidly six, seven, eight points up in polling. If you want to assume a two to three percent uh, under GOP performance in the polling, it's possible he could hit double digits. And I think there's enough Republicans, and I'm not the first person to make this assessment, but I think there's enough Republicans who, when they get in the voting booth and they vote for Kemp, they're just going to go ahead and vote for Herschel Walker. I don't yeah. think there's going to be a lot of ticket splitting. You, you might have people that vote for Warnock. And then maybe don't vote for Abrams, but you're not going to have a lot of people who I think start out voting for Kemp and then vote for Warnock. Now, and that's going to be, I, I almost don't know how you could tell that unless you ask people in exit polling, who was your priority voting for governor Kemp or voting for Senator Warnock. Um, but I just, I don't think a lot of Republicans are going to walk in and vote for Kemp and then not vote for them. While they're there, they're like, ah, why not? He ran for a lot of yards, you know, pencil that in. Yeah, you probably will get something along those lines. I do think that it's inevitable that's going to come to a runoff in Georgia. I almost think that's exactly what's going to happen. But what I was reading, and we don't really have time for it, maybe next week or whenever you come back on, I was reading a runoff might not actually benefit Herschel Walker like people think in that state. Um, There's a lot of dynamics around that. We'll see. But it's clearly the the Fetterman, Oz, and then Walker, um, Warnock are clearly the national spotlight senatorial races uh because they're just massive for both sides so absolutely and yeah. i also think it's interesting that beto has not been able to nationalize the texas gubernatorial race i, I, I just think Democrats, Democrats, they're he, done with him uh, he's like a jester go out do some damage we're not giving you any money right i mean you're not going to win and i'm curious what he's going to do after this just uh, you know what <laughs> that guy's unbelievable man he, he is a clown. He had that it really is. good as a rep in uh, El Paso. Should have just stayed there. Or, you know, That's whatever. Right. He, yeah, whatever. All right, well, Bench, thanks for hopping on. I know you have your some duties next week. You'll be off. When you come back on, we expect full strides here. We are looking forward to it. We are looking forward to it. All right, Bench. We'll see you next week, pal. All right, out here. Look at that big ass. Look at that big juicy booty. I'm going to come. 
Thanks for joining the Sports Antelope today. I'm your host, Danny Belts, on episode 122. Now is not the time, son. Thanks to Tommy Bench for coming on and clearing the air about the Georgia Senator race and the Democrats maybe blowing their wad a little too early. Thanks to Bro Exotic for coming on with a massive dog, the Bulldogs of Mississippi State, catching a rack of touchdowns. Mississippi State had a player die last night, by the way. That usually ends up being some sort of dedication game. Check that one out. Unfortunately, that happened. That is horrible. And the Drunk Neighbor, thanks for jumping on for one of the best rip-roaring LSU SEC rants he's been on since rejoining the sports antidote. And look, you may not like everything I talk about all the time. I don't care. The purpose of the podcast is do a lot more than maybe throw out some, some gambling picks. But if you learn something from it, who really cares? You don't have to listen to it. The world needs plenty of bartenders, two weeks with pay. And remember, men, we're going to get into this soon, right? Now is not the time. Pick and choose your spots, whether it be in a situation that I saw in Texas, a situation at work, or a situation with your family, particularly your kids, whatnot. Pick and choose your spots, especially when you go get drunk at the drunk neighbor's house and pass out on the sofa in 2021, and then your wife almost changes the locks. I'm not saying that happened. I'm not saying it didn't. And at the same time, guys, remember, we're going to be talking about this. Yes, you are your kids, your daughter's legal parents, and you are also absolutely her guardian because you were her guardian before you are her father. Let that shit sink in. Be about it, brothers. Thanks for joining the Sports Antidote. Keep it real, Antidotions!